Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Well, it's great to see everybody again. Well, wasn't last week powerful with Pastor Lindsay's message? I thought that was one of his best messages he's ever preached. Very, very powerful. If you are not here, make sure you look at it online. You can check it out anytime at nowchurch.com or nowchurch.tv, either one. And today we're finishing up our series called Clean House. How many have been doing some house cleaning, some soul searching, some looking around your life? Amen. It's time to kind of look at it. Spring has gone, summer is flown, and now fall is on the way. It is right ahead of us. And college football season started yesterday for those of you who celebrate the holidays. Anyway, very excited. Today we're going to finish this, the message series up with a message I call Unpacking Your Praise. Unpacking Your Praise. I'm going to begin with a passage familiar to many of you, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a story of a King Josaphat who was a good king. He didn't have a good start, but he, a, he, he became a good king. He tore down the strongholds of the enemy and really began to call the people of Israel back to God. And the enemy was upset, like Pastor Chris said earlier, or PL said earlier about the attacking your testimony, trying to take your praise, take your testimony. And so these three enemy armies that hated each other came together in what we call common enemy bond. Have you ever had two of your friends that didn't like each other that suddenly didn't like you and all of a sudden they're hanging out together? Come on, that's, that's just a normal thing. And you go, well, what, was, what was that? Y'all didn't even like each other. That's common enemy bond. See, now they're, they're, they're fixated on you more than what they didn't like about each other. Well, these three enemy armies come together against Israel and they conspire against them to destroy them, to annihilate them. And they set up an ambush in a valley and they were gonna lure in the Israelites and the nation of Judah specifically. And they were gonna get them. And, and all of a sudden, King Jehoshaphat gets the word of the Lord. A prophet comes and says, hey, this ambush is going on. There's a common enemy bond and they're against you. You need to sanctify a fast and call the people together to seek God. So when they seek God, the Lord shows up and the word of the Lord comes forth through the musicians, through the psalmists and the minstrels. And this is the word that comes forth in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. You will not need to fight physically in this battle, to fight with guns and knives and catapults and slings. You're not going to need to fight in this battle, but position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation Lord who is with you. O Judah, Judah means praise. O Judah, O praise and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. We well, said, you said, you're not going to have to fight, but you're going to have to go out. You got to face them. You're just not going to have to fight a conventional warfare. He said, go out against them. Don't be afraid. And here's the response. And Jehoshaphat, the king, bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah, all the nation, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices soft and low. Is that what it says? With a, with a reverential whisper, like in your traditional church you were raised in. With a holy hush. No. They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. I want to weave in one other passage we're going to put together with this. If you ever taught in traditional church about the book of Job, you're probably taught a lot of stuff about God wants you to suffer. Well, I just want to kind of rip the mask off of that thing today. Job 1 verse 6 from the message says this, one day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said, and what have you been up to? Not having a conversation. This is, hey, what's up? This is, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? Satan answered God, going here and there, checking things out on earth. God said to Satan, well, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. Satan retorted, so do you think Job does all that out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no one has ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. You bless everything he does. He can't lose. But what do you think he would, what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away or allowed me, Satan saying, allowed me to take everything that is his? He'd curse you right to your face. That's what. Let's pray together one more time. Father God, would you open the eyes of our heart? Holy Spirit, come and move through this time. Shift our mindsets and change us into the image of your Son in Jesus' name. Amen. I loved Pastor Lindsay's message last week where he <clears throat> talked about everybody's got a closet or a junk drawer. I thought, I mean, I was uh, battling sickness last week and I was like, yes! Everybody can relate to that. Everybody has one place at least, even you clean freaks. You got one place where if somebody's coming over, you kind of shove it all in. One spot. Everybody does. And I want to remind you that the ultimate purpose in cleaning house is the resetting of values and priorities. That's what it's about. It's about, let's get back, let's streamline. Let's, let's get back to God's best. Let's get back to proper focus. If you got everything helter-skelter, you got everything just in a mess, it's hard to focus at times. So following up PL's message from last week, I'm concerned that some of the things that wind up in our junk drawer or closet or room, as he said, are some of the most crucial spiritual gifts, tools, and weapons that we need to keep handy for such a time as this. Things like prayer, 
praise and the presence of God are clearly priorities during a crisis. But when that season of challenge is over, we often allow the things that got us through to fade into the background, eventually winding up in the bin. And it's human nature. We all do it. When something's going on, it's easy to pray when you're in an emergency, when you had to call the ambulance or you had to go to the hospital. It's easy to say, well, you need to pray. The problem is when things are going well, too many times we neglect the things that got us to that place where it's whole and well and good. And we retreat from our spiritual assignment and just kind of put God in the backseat or put the word of God in the trunk like a spare tire. I don't want to have a show of hands here, but how many of you received a, um, an owner's manual when you got your car? If you got a new car, you had to, by law, get an owner's manual. But let me ask you a question. When's the last time you looked at the darn thing? No show of hands. A few months ago, my car did a reset. Some kind of through the air reset that I didn't ask for. And I have, the, I, have this, I have this one feature on my car that I really appreciate. It's called blind spot assist. It means that if somebody's in my blind spot, I'm about to make a lane change, a little red light comes on my mirrors. In the reset, that disappeared. So, I called the dealership, I made an appointment, we talked to people, I had my assistant work on it. What happened? How do we get this thing back? Couldn't figure it out. Never did go to the owner's manual. <clears throat> on Thursday of this past week, I accidentally hit a button in the middle of my console that brought up a whole line of computer things I'd never seen that didn't know I had in my car for the last year and a half. <clears throat> and one of them said, assistance. Oh, well, that might be interesting. You get it? Blind spot assistant was at the bottom and it was not checked. I hit it. I went out of it. And the little red light showed up again after six months away. <laughs> and I thought, why didn't I just open the book? I know it's here somewhere. It's either in the trunk or the glove box. I careth not which. Because I'm not going to read it. But if I read the book, I probably could have figured the thing out if it's in English. If it's like Ikea English, just forget the handbook. If you've ever gotten some from Ikea and you, you put together the ding farb you know, it's like the ding farb it's like, you know, step three and the little peg is always missing. Anybody ever put the Ikea stuff together? Yeah, it'll make you pull out what hair you have left. The story of King Jehoshaphat reminds us that when we get under extreme pressure, the first response should be a time to seek God in prayer. To set our lives apart, that should be our first response, not our last resort. 
And it's usually the last resort, let's be honest. As they sought the, the wisdom and protection of God, the word of the Lord came prophetically that <clears throat> this is God's battle. This is not your battle. Prepare to position yourselves. Now, position comes from the same root word as the word posture. You, you, some people have a posture today at church where they're like this. And some people are leaning in. Talk to me. I've got to hear what God's saying. I need to hear the word of the Lord because my life isn't perfect. And I'm not perfect. This is God's battle. Posture yourself. Here's the posture that God says. Don't allow fear or discouragement to run rampant. Don't panic. Don't keep entertaining the what ifs in the worst case scenario. Two professions that always look for the worst case scenario. If you were trained in the medical field as a doctor or you're in banking, they're both taught to look for the worst possible effect. That's why you gotta sign to, to, to rent a motorbike got to sign papers this thick. To buy a new house, it's now this thick. Why? Because you got a double swear, pinky swear, triple swear on the big swear because other people didn't keep their word 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You, you see, the problem is we, we, we don't position ourselves. We panic and we always look for the worst case. Listen, your mind, if, you, if it's unharnished, Harnessed, it will, it will always drift to the least common denominator, the worst possible option. My friend John Mason, oh, he said this. He said one time he had a, he had, a, he noticed his knee was hurting, and he felt his knee, and he said, "Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a bump." Thought about the bump, he said. It's not a bump, it's a lump. He said, wait a minute, that's, if that's a lump, that's, that could be cancer. I could wind up with a stump. He said in a few minutes, he went from bump to a lump to a stump. And it was a mosquito bite. You see, we get, your mind can just get carried away with Oh my gosh, what is, oh no, the sky is falling again. If you watch the news much, God help you. The world should have ended two years ago. But we're still here. So prayer and posturing yourself and taking authority over fear and discouragement, that's, you gotta, you gotta set yourself. God says in one place in the Bible that, they, that the people set themselves as flint. That means they, were, they, they set themselves to be tenacious, to be resilient, to be set. To some of you, you already have stubbornness and you, if, you just, if you redeem stubbornness, it's tenacity. If, if you let it go into sin, it's still stubbornness. Do not nudge your spouse at this point. 
Okay, just, just relax, look straight ahead. If you live with a stubborn person, we're gonna have a prayer for Stubborns Anonymous after church. My wife is Irish and German. That's all I'll say. She's tenacious. So prayer's gotta be a priority, but also here's where we're going today. Praise always goes first. Praise always goes first. In the seeking first the kingdom of God, you've got to approach God with a thankful heart. Listen, anybody can be grateful after something good has happened. Anybody. That's why you can watch any award show and, ha- and they'll praise God even if they don't know God. They'll, they'll, they'll say, I want to thank God because it sounds good. And they, they, they know they want to give thanks to something, someone. And so many times they'll thank God even if they weren't, even if they've never been to church. They'll say, I want to thank God. And you think, oh, isn't that great? That person's a Christian. Anybody can praise God when you're standing there with an Oscar. Anybody can praise God when you get the praises of men. But praise in thankfulness, in faith, before it happens, is real praise. See, some people think that praise and worship is about singing songs at church. No, 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 no. Listen, I hope you enjoy singing songs at church. I hope you enjoy Pastor Lindsay and the team and the new song they, that they wrote last, last week and then this Sunday, tremendous, great blessing. But we read the words on the screen. Sometimes, sometimes you, you can be reading, singing the words on the screen, but your mind is checked out. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about, are we gonna, is it going to be pizza or fried chicken? Oh, we'll do both. Double portion. So your mind can run into all this stuff while you're worshiping. So that worship, listen, worship, the root word of worship is the word worth. It's about value. It's about resetting values. You know, think about the word Appreciation. They say, I appreciate you. When, when you appreciate something, the other, the other connotation of the word appreciation is to increase in value. So when you actually appreciate someone or something, you actually cause it to rise in value in your own estimation. And it rises in value. And if it's more valuable to you, it's more valuable, right? Listen, diamonds are expensive and gold is valuable, but why is it valuable? You know, it's shiny. Nice. But they set the standard on gold and jewelry and precious metals and things, but it's based on what everybody collectively thinks. If, they, if suddenly diamonds were no longer a girl's best friend, and suddenly it was silicone or something cheap, something a dime a dozen, water, Water is great. You know, I grew up in a time when we didn't have to pay for water. You know, bottled water didn't exist when I was a kid. It didn't exist until adulthood for me. I, didn't, I never saw a bottle of water until I went to Europe. And they were selling bottles of water over there back in the late 70s. And I thought, well, this is weird. We would never pay for water. <laughs> And it's America. 
God shed his grace. Oh. Well, we pay for water too. It's all in the value that you set something. Worship is setting the value of how much you appreciate God and he increases in value as you love on him. He increases in value in your eyes, in your heart, when you express that and you were born to express it. In fact, the Bible says that praise, the New Testament said, let us offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. So praise is thankfulness expressed in faith. And praise is the decision to be grateful before you actually have anything happen that's good or that turns the thing around. Here's a great definition of praise. Praise, here's one definition. It's the inward recognition and the outward expression of the goodness of God. If you take notes, you ought to write that one down. That's a keeper. The inward recognition and the outward expression of the goodness of God. And it is based wholly, fully, completely on your confidence in the goodness of God. When the army went into the ambush field in 2 Chronicles 20, as they marched in, they sang a song, thank the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. Thank Lord, now think this, they're going into annihilation. They're going into possible destruction and they're not armed. They didn't carry any of the weapons with them. God said, praise goes first. And as they went in, they ascribed value. He is good. Not just he does good. Or he will do good. Our God is good. We say it all the time that he's good all the time. But here's the deal. It's your comes. Listen, he is good as mercy is in forever. Let me ask you this. Is God good? Yes. Is God good when you're in the ambulance? Yes. Is God good if you're in the hospital? Yes. Is God good if the enemy hits you with everything but the kitchen sink? Yes. So your praise then isn't conditional based on your feelings about did God come through for me yet? It is based on the fact that you know that you know that you know that his word says from history to eternity, he is good and his mercy endures forever. <clears throat> when I woke up a week and a half ago in the night, having heard that a couple of my friends had gotten COVID and I woke up not feeling well, about four in the morning, I thought, well, this sucks. I hope this isn't COVID. I avoided COVID. I, I, I outran that sucker for two and a half years. I traveled the world and got it in Ocala. I, I've been on, you know how many flights I've been on in the last two and a half years? Well, last year, back to traveling again, I've been around the world. 
I've been in nations. I've been sitting right next to the hacker guy. And I don't mean the computer hacker, I mean the... (laughs) You know him. He's always on your flight. But no plague shall come near my dwelling. I thank God at least it took a few laps around the earth before it got to me because it was... You know, people say, well, it's nothing more than a bad head cold. Yeah, but it's still annoying. Thank God it's not deadly for, for most. And hope, we, just, we just pray, if you haven't had it, I pray that you don't get it, okay? Because it's a mess. But as I laid there in my bed, I thought, well, I got too much to do. I was supposed to be preaching last Sunday in Orlando at Pastor Damon Morris Church, City Place Church. I was supposed to be there. I was committed. For, we've been working on these dates for a year. Supposed to be there. I got stuff to do. I got places to go. I got people to see. I got, I got, I'm, I'm serving God. I'm, this, I don't got time for this. And then this thought hit. Well, once this book comes out and all this stuff happens this fall, if I got it now, this is going to work for my good. Because then I can't get it again. For a while, well, I'm not going to get it again in Jesus' name. But I mean, you got to understand, I already had, to enter these nations, I already had to have the shot, its sister shot, and then the third booster cousin shot. And I still got the stupid thing. Well, at least I kept my wife from getting it for two days. And then she copied me. I thought, well, she's going to be with me on a bunch of trips this fall. You know, God, you're good. And if you've allowed this at this time, and I literally thought this in the middle of the night, I'm going to praise you. Because I don't like this feeling, but I know you're turning it and you're working it together for my good. Amen. Genuine praise is a pre-action, not only a reaction. Genuine praise is a pre-action. What would you do? I was going to set up something with my friend Daniel Badu, who's a great actor. I didn't get to talk to him and set this up, Daniel. Can you stand up, Daniel? We're just going to act it out. See, you don't know Daniel. Daniel is a young actor. He's an aspiring actor, and we're going to find out how good he is right now. Daniel, all I want you to do, close your eyes. You just get the phone call. You won the lottery. One billion dollars. You won the big one, the jackpot. What do you do? So he calls everybody. Okay, so your dad and mom are so chill that that's probably real. But show me what somebody else would do if they got the news they won a million dollars. There you go. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Give it up for, for Daniel Boudou right there. 
Daniel, Josh, you got all of them. Daniel Badu. Anyway, my friend Daniel, I'm, I'm sorry, I called you your brother's name at one point. Anyway, the big thing is that Daniel, see, you, you, if you won something, if you won, if you won 100 bucks, you wouldn't be like, well, that's nice. You'd be, you would have a new adrenaline infiltrate your whole system. You would, you would, you would have an out-of-body experience. If they told you you won a million or $10 million, you'd have an out-of-body experience. Don't you think? But the reality is that praise harnesses that adrenaline before you want anything and begins to celebrate the goodness of God who already saved you when you, didn't, you weren't worth saving, neither was I, healed you, set you free from demonic power, gave you an inheritance that cannot be taken away. You have your eternity set. Your life is blessed. You're in the hand of God and you cannot be taken out of his hand. My friend, you won more than the lottery. Because that billion dollars is gonna go into the ground. It's gonna go scatter. Most people that win the lottery, they, they... Within three to five years after the lottery payoff is done, no matter how much they won, they're back in the same condition they were before they won the lottery. Did you know that? That's, that's statistically true. That people wind up in the same boat because they didn't change their insides. That's why you can get somebody who, who, um, who gets a big NFL contract to play ball. And now they're wearing a half a million dollar necklace. One guy just had his stolen recently. Signed his contract, had like a $250,000 necklace and, a, and like a $100,000 earring taken from his locker. You know, think about that. It's not about the outward, it's about the inward. So, in St. Chronicles 20, they lifted the Lord first. Confusion hit the enemy. Here's what happened in the story. The enemy started attacking each other before they arrived. Before, the, before Judah, the tribe of Judah arrived praising God, as the praises went up, the ambushment got confused. And they started attacking each other. By the time Judah got there, the enemy was all dead. And all they had to do was pick up the spoils of war. Just pick up the stuff, pick up the weapons, pick up the wealth, pick up everything of value. All they had to do is pick it up because praise goes first. Praise grabs the promise of victory and glorifies God before it manifests. We often talk about prevailing prayer. We talk about praying through until you get a note of victory in your spirit. But what we're talking about here is prevailing praise that I will praise the Lord unconditionally because he's already good. He's already better than I deserved and I'm gonna praise him because he's good. He's good and his mercy endures forever. The enemy of your soul is always banking on being able to intimidate you through fear and manipulation. I've gotta to get to the part about Job because this is so important. This is something God showed me a few years ago. The enemy wants you 
to trust your feelings instead of the word of God. And he wants you to pack up your praise, to box it up, to throw it in your junk drawer of things that didn't work properly. He wants to convince you that God isn't doing anything for you right now. He's not doing anything good for you. And then the enemy can rob you of your thankful heart. And if he can do that, he can hijack your praise and hijack your life and distract you with dumb things. In the book of Job, God brags to the angels about what a good man Job is. He fears God, shuns evil. He's a worshiper. He's a praiser of God. Satan makes an accusation. Here it is. The devil thinks, just like with Job, that your praise is only connected to your current financial situation. That's the first accusation against Job. Hey, God, if he didn't have anything, if you hadn't blessed his socks off already, he'd curse you to your face. It's only because he has something financially or materially that he even trusts you, God. So God says, well, you can't kill him, but I'm gonna back away. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lift my hand for a moment and you can touch what he's got. Here's the thing. Disaster hits, but in Job chapter one, verse 20, it says this. So disaster is, he loses his stuff. He loses his cattle, his sheep, his wealth. Look what it says in Job 1.20. See what his reaction is. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshiped God. And he said, naked, or those of you from Zuber, naked. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord anyway. Praise God, because he's already, he's good, and his mercy endures forever. My friends, what does it take to get you to stop praising God? That's the question today. What does it take for you to close up shop and just put away your praise in the closet? Just throw it in the junk bin and say, well, I tried it, it didn't work. Because that, my friends, reveals everything. At what point do you lose your ability to recognize and express God's goodness? Not about how you feel about it, but about who he is. Because that is the true measure of your spiritual condition. Those of you that think you're spiritually strong, how are you when you lose stuff? How are you when, it's, when, when something changes, when the problem arises? Where's your praise then? Sometimes praising and worshiping God seems like a formula <clears throat> for a guaranteed breakthrough. And it will guarantee breakthrough, but listen to this, it's not a formula. We don't just praise God and worship him only so we can get something from him. Getting, getting him, his action and reaction to our worship and our praise is a promise and God is working and he's moving and he's fighting for you. But we don't do it to manipulate him. We don't, he doesn't serve us, we serve him. Childlike faith values his presence more than just his presence. You have to see it on the screen to get it. Childlike faith values 
his presence more than just his presence. When, when I was traveling, when my kids were small, they were waiting for me at the window when my car pulled in. Just for dad, daddy's home. But then when I started traveling regularly, I started bringing trinkets and souvenirs from nations. And I trained my own kids to value what I was bringing them more than just me coming home. And it happens, doesn't it? Eventually, you tra- we're all trained, what'd you bring me? What'd you bring me? What do you have for me? When the presence with the sea used to be enough, just being there, I just want to spend time with you. I just want to be on your lap, Daddy. I just want to be near you. I missed you. I didn't miss what you bring me. It's not wrong to want gifts and trinkets and things. Can I tell you, eventually, after, about, after I hit about 40 nations, my kids were like, please don't bring me anything this time. I got all the T-shirts. I got all the African uh, statues. I don't need anything. The good part is, by that time, I started having grandchildren, and then I got to start over. Now that's expensive. When you get down, you gotta train yourself to look up. The enemy also supposes that your praise is connected to your physical comfort. Because the enemy didn't stop there in the book of Job, did he? Here's what he did. In the book of Job, he said to God, let me touch his skin and bones and he'll spit in your face, God. That's his plan B, trying to hit your body and your mind. In pain and agony, Job's wife then starts badgering him to curse God and die. But Job responds in Job chapter two, verse 10, after he got sick with skin boils and all this stuff happened to him physically and his wife said, curse God and die. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sit with his lips. In other words, Job said to his wife, God's been so good to us already. We can make it through some tough times too because he's so good. I will keep praising him. The psalmist wrote seven times a day, I will praise God. It's an act of the will. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will offer up the sacrifice of praise. I will, I will, I will. It's an act of the will. It's a choice. It's a decision. I got this thought. The other day, praise is telescopic. When you look through it, God gets closer. If you look through the lens of praise, God is right there. It's telescopic. But you gotta start praising him on purpose, with purpose. Job went through a lot. I'll finish with this. But for the next 40 chapters of his story, Job kept pointing his almost insurmountable pain into the direction of praise. In his conversation with these other friends that were giving him all these religious traditions and things, eventually Job refashioned his praise and his pain into a prayer for others. He'd rediscovered his ultimate purpose. If you read the book of Job, it starts out, he's praying for other people. He's praying for his kids. It finishes up, he starts praying for his friends. 
and he sees that he's not perfect, that he needs God. And the Bible says as soon as that process was complete, God restored Job's losses. Job 42.10, and the Lord restored, Job, restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Everybody say twice as much. Everything he lost, he now had in abundance twice as much. Our God is restored. If you're going through something right now, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, if you're going through something right now, God's gonna turn that thing around. He's gonna restore it. He's gonna redeem it first, but he's gonna restore it. And on the other end, if you'll just train your heart to praise him, if you'll unpack it from the junk drawer, if you go find it in the closet where you left it and start praising him on purpose and lift up his value in your eyes, you'll begin to see his mercy afresh that's new every morning. And you'll see him turn around because God's nature is restoration. He doesn't just restore. He is a restorer. It is God's DNA to restore you. And the Bible says that's the intended end. James chapter five says, keep your eyes. You see the story of Job? See the intended end by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. My friend, double for your trouble. The intended end is double for your trouble. God restores. It's time to find where you left your praise, unpack it and blow the dust off. Start praising Jesus with all your might like you just won the lottery. Like King David praised him as he brought back the ark. Because my friend, your heart is only as strong as your praise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth that endures forever. Lord, I pray for everyone who's suffering, everyone who's going through a challenge, everyone who's sick right now or been sick, everyone who's going through pain. I thank you, Lord, for your healing of our brother's wrists over here. I thank you for your healing, someone suffering in your back with debilitating back pain. Lord, we pray for that back right now and command alignment to come into area of, every area of pain. We, we rebuke arthritis right now and everything that tries to exalt itself higher than God. We break financial lack right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we choose wherever we are right now in our lives, we choose you. We choose you over everything and everyone. And we acknowledge today that you are good. Thank you for what you've already done. Thank you that we're forgiven. Thank you that we're set free. Thank you that we have the benefits of our salvation. Thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love even when we're not lovely. Thank you, Lord, for your protection and on and on and on. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, we can experience you, that you're not a God who's aloof but you inhabit the praises of your people. The moment we turn to you, you're right there, ready to hug us, ready to hold us, ready to manifest your presence in us and through us. Lord, awaken our praise. Help us to unpack it from the areas where it's been squashed or pushed down or hidden, held back. Today, help those who are having trouble expressing 
their faith in your goodness to be able to open their mouths and say, yes, he is good. Our God is good. He is faithful and his mercy is mine. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Do you receive that today? Did you get that? Put him first. Seek him first. Praise goes first. Trust him. He's going to turn it around. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, event registration, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you.